Are you excited to be here this morning? I know I am definitely excited to be here with you uh, to share what God's put in my heart. And uh, I feel like this series of Thank For Eight has been an incredible series so far. And uh, it's, it's, it's a little repetitive, but it's needed. I don't know how you feel if it's been changing your, your thought process over the last few weeks. Uh, it's been really hard for me, but it's been really healthy and good for me uh, to start thanking for eight. And I hope it's been helping you too. And uh, before we jump on in to the message this morning, uh, I always got to do some high five action. So if you can turn to five people, give them a high five, say good morning. How's your four eight? You thinking four eight? High fives just do something good for your heart, I think. All right, well, this week, uh, I want to preach to you on the subject of a good report. A good report. Everybody say, a good report. Uh, we're going to be looking at the same verses we've been looking at every week, uh, but I want to jump off again because I feel like it's been such a powerful theme to focus on, and uh, I want to preach a, a different sermon from the same passage of Scripture. And so uh, if you could look up here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, finally, finally, brothers, and, and you know what it means when a preacher says finally? Absolutely nothing, right? <laughs> finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, he continues, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, he says, meditate on these things. Think about such things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, and I, and I highlighted that because it's so cool what Paul's saying. He's like, Hey, not only did you learn these things from me, but, but you, you received them from me. Like you can sit in this room and you can learn today, but you could still not receive God's word. You could sit down in the morning and, and read this and learn from it, but not receive it. It could be here, but not here. And he says, not only did you learn this from me, but you received it from me. Hey, and not only that, not only did you hear about it from me, but you saw it in me. Like, I don't want to just talk about it. I want to see it. And that's what he says. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. So it's, it's, not, it's not just enough to think the right thoughts. Where the difference is made in our lives is doing those things. But it starts here. Amen? And he says, and the God of peace will be with you. When you get God, you've got peace. When you get God, you have joy. And when you get God, you have courage. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm, not just, I'm just not a very courageous person. Well, if God lives in you, then you are a courageous person who has not yet awakened the sleeping giant inside of you. You are courageous. And what I like about this passage is that this is how God sees every single one of you. As God is talking about what is lovely and pure and, and good and noble, this is how God sees you. The best 4-8 in your life comes from who? God. And when he thinks about you, this is what he thinks about. Some of us, we walk in here, we wake up in the morning. I don't know about you, but I wake up every morning and I feel like I'm already condemning myself. And, and I, I already have negative thoughts flowing in. And it's a good reminder to think this is how God sees me. And this is how he sees you. I mean, God wouldn't tell you to do something that he's not doing. Right? 
I mean, that's what this book is all about. It's about your identity in Christ. It's who you are in God's eyes. It's who you are to him. I mean, that's what you see throughout the whole Bible, through the Old Testament, is the people constantly falling away from God, the people taking their eyes off God and worshiping other gods. And God is saying, come back to me. I love you. Come back to me. I love you. Come back to me. I love you. I send Jesus to bring you back to me. This is how God sees you. This is how God sees you. I think that's, I think that's good news today. I, th- I think, I think. But I want to emphasize verse 4, 8, uh, verse 4, 8, chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever things are of, everybody say it. One more time. Whatever things are of, of good report. I want you to ask the person next to you, do you have a good report? Ask them. Do you have a good report? Do you have a good report? You know, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering because in our world today is mostly bad news. I mean, I woke up this morning and I saw this, this massacre that happened in Orlando last night. It's devastating. We live in a world that is mostly bad news. And I believe that followers of Jesus, more than anybody else on this planet, need to be people of a good report. I mean, do you know what the word gospel means? It's the good news. And I believe we should be bringing good news, a good report in a world full of bad news. You know, I'm referencing, I'm inferring that from Psalm chapter 112. This, uh, it's just this little passage, but it's a great goal for living. I want to show it to you. Psalm chapter 112, verse 6. It says, surely the righteous will never be shaken. It doesn't say it's not going to shake. It just says they won't be shaken. How many people were freaked out by the earthquake the other day? I was sleeping. I didn't even know it happened. He says, surely, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have, I love this, they will have no fear of bad news. Is that even possible? They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look like Muhammad Ali in triumph on their foes. I just had to give a little shout out to Muhammad there. But I feel like when we look on in triumph over our foe, I mean, I feel like that's a look of triumph. Victory. And that's the kind of life that God wants us to live is victory over our foes, over our enemy. Can I get an amen? Amen. But back to verse seven. I didn't put it. Verse seven, it says, they will have no fear of bad news. Is that even possible? I wrote down a few phrases that tend to make people afraid. And I'm gonna share them with you in a minute. Uh, Because I found out that a lot of people are weak. A lot of people are struggling in their faith, not because the bad news that they receive, but the bad news they think they might receive. Right? They will have no fear of bad news. Like nothing has even happened yet, but sometimes we live our lives in weakness because we're afraid of what might happen today. I like that phrase. I think it's a really interesting phrase, the the fear of bad news. I mean, how many of you know that there are certain statements or or things that you can hear that someone could say to you that could just trigger the fear of bad news? Anybody? Like there's there's things that people say or there's things that you hear or maybe you see somebody and you're like, ooh, bad news. Like it just triggers that fear. 
Anybody? Okay, no, no nudging. Anybody? You know, anytime the phone rings for a parent of a driving teenager after 10.30 p.m., there's a certain emotion that happens inside. And just even the thought can set you off. And some of you are too young to know what it was like before we had caller ID. And the phone would ring, and you wouldn't know who it is, right? You might want to talk to them, you might not. So you would pretend like you weren't there until they started talking on the answering machine, and then you might pick up. But even just certain people, when you see their name on an email, it could trigger fear of bad news. And I've learned that if you go through enough bad things in a certain season of your life, you'll be afraid of the phone to ring at all. And, and I wanted to share a little bit. Can I be open? Uh, I shared this once, and, uh, and it was kind of funny, but uh, there's, there was a time, and I'm still growing in this, but there was a time I, I really had a bad reputation uh, of returning phone calls and text messages. I shared that once and like the whole crowd started laughing and I was a little hurt. So I'm glad you didn't laugh this time. But, um, but it's been a weakness of mine. But, but a lot of times I, I haven't shared why that's been hard for me. You know, one of the hardest things about ministry that's been hard to transition in my life is that really the truth is there have been times in the church where things were just harder than others. And just seeing a voicemail or missed call would cause my heart to beat faster and faster and faster. And, and I would just be filled with anxiety. What does this person need to say to me? What are they gonna tell me? And I would just be filled with so much anxiety at the, at the side of a missed call, like just do not disturb me. Because sometimes wave after wave after wave of bad news comes in and problems and people needing something from you. And it could just hit you until your confidence is completely crushed. And just the littlest thing, I mean, it's just, it's just like, what are they gonna tell me today? What am I gonna hear today? What needs to be better today? And my mind can start going down this, this, this trail of bad news and, and fear. I don't know if you could relate. You know, I have a phrase that many of my students wish I would never say again. And uh, it's this phrase, uh, it's this phrase right here that you see on the screen. I need to talk to you about something. I need to talk to you about something. Or can I talk to you for a minute? That one. They don't like that phrase. In, in fact, I could tell that it makes every muscle in their body like clinch, right? Like they tense up when I say that. I need to talk to you about something. And when I see them bracing for it, like when I see them bracing themselves, like a lot of times I'll just say like, hey, it, it's not bad or it's not that bad, right? <laughs> like I gotta like, I gotta give like a disclaimer before I say something just to settle the nerves a little bit. Take a deep breath, it's gonna be okay. But I think they would prefer for me to phrase that another way than I need to talk to you about something. Because it sounds so grave, doesn't it? Everybody say brace for it. Brace for it. What about this one, students? Report cards come out this week. Report cards come out this week. How'd that make you feel, college students? Oh yeah, I guess you don't really get report cards, do you? It's more of a high school student thing. But it kind of depends on your current status of your academic performance, right? It really depends on your current framework. Uh, you know, if things haven't been going so well in school, then thoughts of your social life being shut down for the next few months just might flood your, your mind, okay? Or, or, or the fear of bad news. Check out this one. The boss wants to see you. How you feel? The boss, the principal wants to see you. And again, it just depends on whether you think you're doing well or not. It kind of depends on your framework. It, it depends on your perspective. If things are going well, then you might be excited. Well, it's about time he wants to talk to me. 
It's about time I get a raise, right? But when you get enough bad news, it creates an undercurrent of uncertainty and fear in your mind and even in your spirit. And just the little things can, can set you off in different directions. I want to talk to you about the fear of bad news. And what to do with bad news. Because Paul said in the New Testament, he said, think about things that are of good report. And the psalmist says in chapter 112, uh, yeah, chapter 112, he says, he says, there will be no fear of bad news. And so the thing that I want to point out to you first as we get started is this. The report you believe is much more important than the news you receive. The, new, the report you believe is much more important than the news you receive. And, and I kind of talked about this earlier when I shared about this anxiety I have with, you know, returning calls and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, a lot of times in ministry, we hear a lot of uh, just, you know, most of the time we hear a lot of just bad news or somebody will talk to me and they'll say, hey, you know, I don't like how this is going and I don't like how that is going and, and it's all good. I understand. Like, I'm not, I'm not hating on that. You know what I mean? But, but, but after hearing that for a while, you can start to believe in those things. And I can start to believe that I'm a failure. And the news that I'm getting, that I'm receiving, isn't always that good. But I have a choice what kind of report I want to write based on that news I receive. And one of the things that God is teaching me is that regardless of what people say and, what, and regardless of what's going on around you, you get to write a good report. You can believe in something greater. Do you remember who your God is? Do you remember how he feels about you? You are a son, and a, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. So it doesn't matter what's happening to you. It doesn't matter if you're getting good news or bad news. You get to write the report. You get to choose to have a faith-filled response or a, a response full of fear. Now let's talk about you. you. You are reporters. You are reporters. And every day you go out into this world collecting evidence. But before you ever go out into your day, what if your report is already written based on how God feels about you and who God is? That no matter what happens when you wake up tomorrow morning, no matter what bad news hits you, no matter who calls you and tells you that one thing, that you can write a good report because God is good and God is faithful. And if it's bad, guess what? He was faithful yesterday as he is today as he is tomorrow. You get to decide what report you believe. Are you with me? Because the goodness of God is all around us, isn't it? But do you see it? I would compare this to the Old Testament promised land just so we can have an image to work from. Because the Israelites, before the Israelites went into the promised land to defeat their enemies, God instructed Moses. Everybody knows Moses, right? God told Moses, I want you to send a few reporters. I want you to send a couple spies into the land. And God gives them some very specific instruction. He says, I want you to explore the land and bring me back a report. And we're going to look at this in Numbers, Numbers 13. How many people's read in Numbers this week? Well, you're going to today. Numbers 13, verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? 
What kind of towns do they live in? Are, are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of that land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. He says, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. In other words, bring the people back a sneak peek of what they're fighting for. Bring the people back an appetizer of the main course. Bring them back a sample size from Costco of what they're getting ready to go into. He says, bring them back a sneak peek of what they're fighting for because it's supposed to be a land that flows with milk and honey. And, and I still don't understand what that looks like other than maybe rivers of milk and, and just puddles of honey everywhere. Okay, but, but and grapes. Grapes, every time I say grapes, I spit a little bit. Sorry about that. But grapes, and I, I'm just being open, and, and, and I want them to taste the grapes so it will inspire them to keep moving forward. So bring back some grapes. He goes on. And, uh, but before I go on, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice what Moses does not command them to investigate. He never asked them whether or not they think they're strong enough to do what God called them to do. This is really important because he tells them to size up their situation, but he never tells them to size up themselves. Hey, go into the land, check it out. Is it, are there a lot of people or a little? Is the soil good or bad? But not once did he say, do you think you're able to do it? He never said that. He never said that. Because God knows about you that if you start sizing up yourself, then you will always run away in fear. That if you start measuring up yourself, then you're gonna quit. Now we should size up our situation. I mean, we don't wanna live our lives totally disconnected from reality, like living in la-la land, okay? So, so it's important to size up the situation, but he never told them to size up themselves. You know, God says we are to magnify him in our worship. Magnify God in worship. To magnify God doesn't mean you make him bigger. How are you going to make God bigger? You can't make God bigger. He's big. But, but to magnify him, it just means that you bring him into closer visibility. You bring him into closer visibility so that you can see God in your situation get bigger and bigger and your problems get smaller and smaller. Size up the situation, but be very slow to size up yourself. I mean, we don't want to live our lives just in this like weird place, but, but I think we gotta, we gotta size up God before we size up who we are. Not sizing up ourselves according to our weaknesses, but God's strength. And what we're gonna see is the people gave a report that wasn't very good. Even though they found some grapes. We're gonna, we're gonna find out. Here, verse 21. So, so they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rahab toward Lebo Hamath. If I butcher these words, forgive me. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahimon, Pokemon, I did that the other day with teens. Yeah. Sheshai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. That's some good news there. Don't know what it means. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That's some big grapes, y'all. Everybody say, that's some big grapes. 
that's a weird one. But there's some, these are huge grapes. Like they were like, could barely carry them between two people on a pole. Like grapes the size of your head. And he says in verse 24, that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. I mean, the grapes were so amazing, they even named a city after them. Like, that's amazing. These grapes were incredible. What should we name this place? Grapes. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So they spent 40 days exploring, and as far as we can tell, it was a good trip. Coming back with some fruit, some fruit, and it says in verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they, what? What? One more time. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Showed them the fruit of the land. Hey, look at these blessings. Look at these blessings. Look at the fruit that grows in the land that God is about to give us. Look at these grapes. Look, here's proof of God's promise. It's good. They gave Moses this account. They gave Moses this account. Watch this. The grapes represent reality. Everybody say reality. The grapes represent the reality of what God was about to give them. Right? The grapes represent what God was giving them, but what they say next represents their perspective. They gave Moses this account. And, and, and I need to blow your mind here for a second, okay? So prepare your minds to be blown, okay? You experience your perspective. Amazing, right? You experience your perspective. In other words, we don't experience our reality. We experience our perspective of reality. This is why what Paul says in Philippians 4.8 is so important for you because you will experience your perspective. You're going to experience what you think about, what you meditate on. You will experience what you think. You will not experience what's really happening. You see, the reality is we have an incredible church. I didn't say perfect. Not yet. Not till Jesus comes, amen. I said we have an incredible church. We really do. But some of you are having a really bad time here. Because the only things you ever seem to think about are the things that are wrong about our church. And so you don't enjoy it. You labor it. But if you would start to see what is good, then maybe your experience would change. I'm working on this. I mean, you could be carrying grapes on your shoulder, but so worried about giants that you never go into the land that God gave you. We gotta start changing. We have an amazing church. And we're not perfect, like I said. We got a lot to grow in. That's good, that's good news. We're always gonna be growing to be more like Jesus. And look at what it says here in verse 27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Oh, it does. Look, here's its fruit. Check it out. Amazing grapes. Not amazing grace, amazing grapes. That was kind of fun. But the people. But the people. 
but the people. The promise is true, but the people. Your brothers and sisters in here are awesome, but the people. The church is incredible, but the people. It's really, it's always a problem with the people, me, all of us included. The promised land is everything we thought it would be, but the people. But the people. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Those are some bad dudes. Don't you think it sounds strange to God when you start telling your God who is all powerful how powerful your enemies he's called you to defeat? Like your God is big, but you keep telling him how big your enemies are. Don't you think that gets a little annoying for him? Like, do you remember who I am? I am the great I am. Do you know me? The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the most feared of them all, the Selilites. I'm just kidding. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30. Then Caleb. Woo! Then Caleb. Then Caleb. I love Caleb. Do you know Caleb? He's a good man. Caleb was one of the 12 spies. It was Caleb and Joshua. They were two of the 12 spies. You know, I found out it's about a 10 to 2 ratio. There was 12 spies. Two came back with a good report. 10 came back with a very bad report. And I found out in our lives, it's about the same. It's about a 10 to 2 ratio of the number of thoughts that we have that tell us we can't to the number of thoughts that tell us that we can. Ten bad thoughts for every good thought. It's about ten to two for most people. Some of you are really positive and happy. And then the rest of us are trying to get that way. We're trying to get there. It's about ten to two. There's ten spies talking about giants. There's two spies talking about grapes. There's ten spies talking about problems. There's two spies talking about promises. Which one are you? And I don't want you just to think about the spies that are in this passage, but the spies that are in your mind. I want you to think about the spies inside of you, these, these thoughts that go out and see what God can do through you and what God is calling you to do and the dream God has put inside of you and all the promises that God has given you through Christ. I mean, in Ephesians 1.3, Paul says it, a praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What that says to me is that what is in heaven is here and now available for you and me. Like you don't have to wait someday to experience the blessings of heaven. You can experience them now. God wants heaven on earth here and now for you through Jesus Christ but what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Your thoughts are the spies that determine whether or not you take a step into God's promise for you. And I, and I love Caleb, because look what he says in, in verse 30. He says, then Caleb silenced the people. Shut up! I know that's a bad, okay, I probably shouldn't have said that. But anyways, he's like, be quiet! Be quiet! Zip it. Be quiet, he says. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We can do it. We should, for we can. We should, for we can. We should, for we can. But the people, then Caleb. But the people, then Caleb. Caleb. 
Come on with me. But the people, then Caleb. We should, for we can. They saw the same reality as the other 10 spies, but they believed a different report. We should because we can. And the other spies are talking about we can't, so we won't. But the same spies that went on that mission to say, to, to say we can't, so we won't, they ended up dying in the desert, never seeing the promise that God had for them. Your faith is dying in deserts today. Not because of your enemy, but because of the way you're looking at your enemy. You're looking at it wrong. You're looking at it wrong. That's the problem. You're looking at it wrong, and if you are afraid and you're full of fear, then what you fear will come to pass. You feel weak, you'll be weak. You feel small, you'll be small. We can because we should. Well, I would if I could. No, you could if you would. You could if you would. But the men, oh my goodness. So it was but the people and then, then Caleb. But the men again. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Wait a minute, stronger? Stronger, do you remember who we are? When did God or Moses command you to give your opinion and use your measuring stick? Your scale is broken. And when you start weighing yourself rather than weighing God's word, you'll always stop in weakness and in doubt. Every time. And it spread among the Israelites a bad report. See, this is a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be as a church, as God's people. They spread among the Israelites a bad report. I can't find anywhere in this passage where they got bad news. It was good, y'all, okay? Eshkol, big grapes. God's promise is awesome. Okay, good news, right? But here's what fear will do. Fear will turn good news into a bad report. Congratulations on your promotion and your job. Oh yeah, it's just really stressful, man. I didn't plan on working on the weekends. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I was congratulating you. I thought it was good news. You got a promotion. It is, but the people who work for me just don't listen to me. And now I can afford to keep my kid in that school, but now I can't go into soccer games. Never mind, I will never congratulate you again. You know, it's like. I mean, here's the question that I want to ask, and this is a very piercing question, and I want you to let it pierce your heart today. What kind of report do you bring into people's lives? Are you a person of good report? I'm just gonna let the Holy Spirit move for a second. What kind of report do you bring into people's lives? It says that they spread a bad report and I'm going to solve the problem for some of you. This is why you always have conflict in relationships in your life. Because the report you bring. I want you to ask the person next to you, do you have a good report? Ask them. Hey, I know that was an intense question, but ask them the question. Do you have a good report? It got really quiet. Do you have? Do you have a good report? Do you have a good report? Because I need one. I don't know about you, but I need one. There's enough bad news in the world. 
There's enough bad news going on around me. There's plenty of stuff for me to worry about. But what I need in my life is somebody who will not turn good news into a bad report. I need a believer who will have faith that turns bad news into a good report. That's what I need. Hey, I know it's not all good right now. But can we take a perspective of faith today? I want to clear it up. The news is not the report. The news is not the report. The news is what happened, but the report is what you make of what happened. The news is the issue. The report is your interpretation of the issue. And I don't always have to have good news to get, have a good report. You see, I want the kind of faith like Caleb that says, the giants are big, but the grapes are bigger. And my God is bigger than them all. I don't always get good news, and I know you don't either. You know that verse we read in Psalm 112 that said that they will not fear bad news? You remember that? I know it was like a long time ago now. I wish it said that they will have no bad news. Wouldn't that be awesome? They will have no bad news. Like, can, we can we rewrite that one, God? Can we make a new translation of Psalm 112? Can it say the righteous will never be shaken for they will have no bad news? I like it better like that. What he said instead is that they will get bad news but their faith will endure. It will enable them to give a good report even in bad news. I feel like this might change the way somebody is looking at your situation today. I really do. We can't change your situation but you can go ahead and decide whatever bad news comes into your life. And there are some people in this church who have gotten some really bad news in their life. But they believe a good report. I have to say, April Baserto is one of my heroes. And we love you so much. The news you receive is not nearly as important as the report you believe. But what those spies should have known and what they should have remembered when they were looking at those giants, everybody say bad news, is that God had promised his people that land. He promised them over 170 times. It's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Over 170 times in scripture, he said, the land I have given you, past tense. Wait, we're not even there yet. I know, but I'm God. And I can go into your future and write a good report about the news that you're facing in your life right now. My faith makes a good report out of bad news. I mean, this must be what gave Jesus, and I'm coming to a close, finally, finally, like Paul said, finally, brothers and sisters which means I got like five more minutes at least, okay. But um, I mean, this must be what gave Jesus the kind of peace when he was hanging on the cross to be able to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I don't know about you, but I always thought that verse meant that they didn't know what they were doing. But they did. They knew what they were doing. They were hanging this man, trying him as a criminal. They knew exactly what they were doing when they hammered nails through his hands and feet. They knew what they were doing. But I heard a different take on it this week and it made me wonder if what Jesus meant wasn't that they didn't know what they were doing, but maybe what they thought they were doing that seemed to bring death was actually what God was using to bring forth new life. What the enemy has been bringing into your life to shake you can become, through the lens of faith, something that strengthens you. If you would be like those spies. Everybody say, two spies. Everybody say, am I one of them? You know, I think Moses made his biggest mistake when he involved too many people in his decision. I, I'm gonna share this really quick. It was too funny to not share, I feel like. And you may find it funny or not. But uh, 
every, we just celebrated our seniors this last Tuesday night for all of our high school students. We sent them out. We prayed over that. We prayed around them. And um, a couple, like three years ago, uh, we, would, we did this thing where uh, we would allow the seniors to share some parting words with our students. Why not? You know, like, you've been here for four years. Leave us on a good note. Share something positive and encouraging and inspiring. And I'll never forget this brother, uh, and I'm not going to say his name, but this brother, one of our seniors, gets up in front of the group and he starts saying, you guys are not unified at all. Like, you guys don't even look like a family. And I'm like, ah, be quiet. I felt like Caleb. I wanted to be like, be quiet, you know, like, and it just went downhill. I'm like, can that be any more depressing, okay? So when we celebrated on Tuesday, I did not give our seniors a chance to share. I said, not anymore. Not anymore, okay? I love you, but we're going to limit the sharing this time. But I think Moses made his biggest mistake when he involved too many people. Can I prove it? For 40 years after one generation has completely died in the desert because they refused to go in, okay? These people refused to go into the promised land, not because God didn't want to take them in. Look, if you don't experience victory, it won't because God didn't give it. It's because you didn't believe it. And see, I always thought that God should have given them a second chance and let them go in. But it would, be, it would have been so cruel for God to let them go in because if they didn't have the faith to enter, how would they have the faith to fight all the fights that they would have to fight when they get into the land? If you don't even have the faith to believe it, you'll never have the faith to fight it. Forty years pass and Joshua, who was one of the two spies with Caleb, gets into the promised land because he believed a good report. He saw the same situation, but he believed a good report. And Joshua is about to lead the people into the land. And watch this. It's almost a flashback to 40 years earlier what happened with Moses. But look at what happens here. Look at uh, what Joshua says. Then Joshua, son of Nun. See, some people thought that Joshua didn't have a dad because he was the son of Nun. I'm just kidding. Uh, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. And be careful how you pronounce that word, okay? It's a long I, okay? So, yeah. Anyways. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Especially Jericho. Remember how long Moses talked? Do you remember that? I had like three slides for his, what he said. Right? Check out the soil, check out the trees, check out the walls, check out the people. But Joshua said, no way! I remember what happened last time. I remember what happened last time we went around looking at all that stuff. That did not work. Looking at all the bad, all the things that are going to produce fear in me. Looking to nitpick and pick all the things that are not good. We can't walk by sight. We got to walk by faith. So I want you to go check it out. But I just want you to check out Jericho. That's it. Just Jericho. Because that's the first city we got to be. We just got to focus on the next thing we got to do. We just got to focus on the first thing we got to do. Just, just look at the first thing. That's it. We just got to focus on one thing at a time. If we get looking around at all the ites and bites and kites, if we look at all these things, we're going to get all out of our minds and we're going to start sizing up ourselves instead of sizing up our God. Just go and check it out. But did you notice what he said at the beginning of the verse? Did you notice? Did you notice? Did you notice? Let me show you. Then Joshua, son of Nun, Nun sec secretly sent two spies. Everybody say two spies. two spies. Two spies. He sent two spies. I ain't sending out 12 of y'all. I'm just sending two. Check this out. I'm really closing this time. You only need two spies in your life. You only need two because King David said something in Psalm 23 that I want to share before we pray for communion. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, bad news, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. This is his perspective, okay? He's in a valley that's dark. But my perspective is you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But I gotta show you verse six because I wanna show you the only two spies you need in your life as you walk by faith. You ready? You only need two. You're letting too many thoughts dominate your mind. You're getting, letting too many opinions and you're, getting, you're second guessing yourself, okay? But God never told you to second guess yourself. He called you to trust in him. You only need two spies and I'll show you what they are. Verse six, surely your goodness and love. Goodness and love. Say it with me. Goodness and love. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You only need two spies. You only need an awareness of two things, whether things are getting better or things are getting worse. Surely goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life. I'm going forward in faith. I got a good report. I got a great God. I got goodness and love and I'm brave in my heart because no matter what I face, my, 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 my report is good. My faith is strong. My heart is steadfast. My spirit is secure. His promises are true. His word is everlasting. Can we give him some praise this morning, church? Come on, he's a good God. He's a good God. And he wants to bring you into that land. But what kind of report will you believe today? And what kind of report will you bring into the lives of those around you? Father, we come to you in prayer. We thank you, Father, for this morning, the gift of life that we do not take for granted. To breathe, to be alive is such a gift, God. And today we want to come to you because, God, we need your goodness and your love to follow us, to have our back. And every time we feel like we want to turn away or turn back and run away, your goodness and love will be there as a reminder to keep moving forward, to say, I'm with you, to look at the cross before me and the world behind me. Let us be a people of good report today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would change our minds today. I know things aren't perfect, but we got a good God. We have you, and you are big. You're bigger than anything in our life. We trust you. We trust it all to you. We love you. We thank you for Jesus and his amazing sacrifice that has brought us to where we are today. In Jesus' name, amen.